Across the West Coast, wildfires are raging. More than 85 fires are burning up millions of acres. And the devastation is just starting to become clear. In Oregon, the state's governor warned that these fires pose a historic risk. This could be the greatest loss of human lives and property due to wildfire in our state's history. And so far, in Oregon alone, at least 10 people have been killed and a million acres have burned. With scientists saying climate change makes wildfires more likely across the West, today we talked with Oregon's Director of Emergency Management about the state's preparations for this fire season and the historic cost of these fires. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Monday, September 14th. Coming up on the show, Oregon's historic fire season and how the state is responding. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Andrew Phelps is Oregon's Director of Emergency Management. I caught him at his office in Oregon's capital. From where you sit now, what's the view out your window? I mean, are you experiencing the fires? Yeah, so down here in Salem, um, it's been socked in with smoke uh, pretty much for the last week. Driving down to Salem after the fires erupted Labor Day evening, it was ominous coming down from the Portland metro area and seeing the dark clouds of smoke enveloping really the southern two-thirds of the state. As that day progressed and as we moved through last week, you'd go out to your car in the evening uh, after working a shift at the state's emergency coordination center, and you'd literally have to blow the ash off of your windshield. Breathing is is really difficult uh, for most folks. Even in indoors, uh, you just sort of have this persistent smell of what smells almost like campfire smoke. How does that make you feel? Well, I think for a lot of folks, it's anxiety-inducing. You know, geographically, we're a large state, but by population, we're a small state. We all know folks who have been directly impacted by these fires, whether they've been evacuated and in some cases have lost their homes. You've served as a volunteer firefighter. What does it feel like for you? Um, <laughs> it's... Every disaster is difficult. You know, we we say in emergency management, all disasters are local, but I think more than that, all disasters are personal. You see when you go to a shelter site, the kids running around trying to keep themselves occupied and they know that their homes are gone. That certainly strikes a chord uh, when you realize that the work that we're doing, especially here in the coordination center, it's not about, you know, pushing pallets of water around or developing action plans and, and focusing on long-term recovery efforts. It's things that are going to, to make an impact on people's lives that were displaced and in some cases lost everything. So that's, I think, what keeps us focused. 
is knowing that everything that we do will ultimately benefit the folks that have been most impacted by this disaster. Oregon Governor Kate Brown has called this fire season unprecedented. Why is it so bad this year? Well, up until a week ago, it really wasn't a bad fire season. We had had a couple of fires that resulted in loss of of homes, some evacuations. But in terms of acreage, we were burning less than our, our typical seasonal average. The challenge with this particular response has been how quickly these fires appeared on the landscape, the areas in which they appeared. Uh, We were getting fire in places we normally don't have fire, and how quickly these fires moved into communities driven by the winds. And to have so many fires pop up in populated areas from our southern border up to our northern border with Washington was just extraordinary. Did it catch you by surprise? In some ways, yes, but in other ways, no. The Weather Service and the forecasters were predicting a wind-driven event. We had as many resources pre-positioned as we possibly could, but you don't know where these fires are going to start. And sadly, we've spent too much time, I think, over the last uh, several years in conversations with our partners down in California, learning lessons from them about the Tubbs fire uh, that devastated a lot of Sonoma County and, and more recently the campfire in Paradise. We're seeing these types of fires pop up in populated areas, move really, really quickly. And that's where that life safety threat comes in that, as an emergency manager, has me so concerned. Do you remember the moment when you realized that this was going to be a life safety event, that these fires were going to be this big? Yeah, I I think once we learned that the Beachy Creek fire, which had been a fire that was burning for quite some time before the wind event on Labor Day... Once we started hearing reports that that fire uh, had blown past its containment lines and was actually threatening one of the command posts in Gates, Oregon, up near an area called Detroit Lake, that was when I think I had the recognition that it was going to be a bad night. And then just all through that evening, just it felt like every 30 minutes we were getting new calls of new fire reports, additional evacuations, calls for assistance for more structural protection and began mobilizing our mass care efforts to ensure that folks that were being evacuated had safe places to go. How would you characterize the people who are being impacted? So these are, generally speaking, pretty rural communities. A lot of them are folks that work in agricultural industries, and a lot of them are non-English speaking, which makes warning and providing information more challenging. We've been very conscious of the fact that the recovery information, we need to make sure that it's reaching those vulnerable populations uh, and folks that maybe aren't proficient English speakers, because those are the folks that are going to help us rebuild our communities. Those are the economic drivers, really, that are going to get these communities back on their feet. A lot of manufactured homes, a lot of homes that have been out in the rural parts of our state for decades. Families have passed these homes on from generation to generation. Again, it is mostly rural, but we certainly have pockets of more densely populated sort of small town environments. And how has the pandemic changed your work in terms of getting people to evacuate, getting people to go to shelters, and taking care of them once they're there? So the COVID pandemic really began to inform our planning for this fire season as early as March. 
we anticipate a fire season every year. And on the fire side, uh, the Oregon State Fire Marshal's Office and the Department of Forestry wanted to make sure that they had plans in place to have physical distancing available for their firefighters on their fire camps to ensure that when crews were working, they were working with the same folks throughout the time they were deployed on a fire to minimize additional contacts. And then on the sheltering side and the evacuation side, again, we had a number of fires that forced evacuations earlier in our fire season. And we're able to sort of put those plans to the test, really in partnership with the American Red Cross, to identify opportunities for what we call non-congregant sheltering. That's trying to get folks placed in hotel and motel rooms as opposed to that traditional congregant shelter situation that you typically see at the high school gymnasium with 150 cots on the floor. The majority of the folks that we've sheltered that have been displaced have been able to be placed in hotel and motel rooms since they evacuated. We still do have several hundred folks that are in those congregant shelters. But again, we're taking every precaution possible with mask requirements, temperature checks as folks come into the shelters and COVID screenings for symptoms. We've got medical staff available at the shelters to provide additional care. The cots are certainly much more physically distanced than they normally would be. And does this add extra cost? I mean, if you look at this year with these unprecedented fires and a pandemic, how much is this straining your budgetary needs. At this point, we're not even looking at the bottom line in dollars and cents. We're still so much focused on that life safety piece. There'll be a time to add all that up. This is going to be, though, cost-wise, an historic disaster for the state of Oregon. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. Welcome back. Would more funding have prevented these fires or helped lessen their damage? We have a pretty robust state hazard mitigation plan that identifies a number of opportunities to reduce the impacts of all of our hazards. Certainly anything that we can do to further mitigate against the impacts of wildfire, creating more defensible space, etc., all of those things would prove hugely beneficial in any kind of a firefight. We want to make sure that we're focusing on preventing uh, and mitigating the impacts of fires, and that's that's really where our long-term focus is. But right now, we need to, to make sure that we're focused on these disaster survivors and getting them the services that they need. Some Republican state lawmakers have criticized the state government for mismanaging both fire prevention from a forestry management point of view and from an emergency management point of view. What do you say to that? 
You know, I think uh, anytime you have large disasters, there's going to be opportunities to see what worked well and where we need to improve. I can say that uh, everyone that's working to, to protect communities is doing their best with the resources they've got. And President Trump has approved emergency federal assistance to the state. Has that assistance already started coming? And what is most urgently needed? Our federal partners have been absolutely fantastic. Really, within 24 hours, our partners from FEMA Region 10 had an assistance team here at the State Emergency Coordination Center to help with uh, logistics and information sharing and situational awareness. And and they've continued to provide a high level of support. They've sent urban search and rescue teams. They've got other resources mobilizing to support mass care operations, volunteer donation management operations, etc. In terms of the immediate life safety threat, This is going to be an incredibly long-term recovery event. How long is this life safety event going to go on? As long as there are fires burning and folks evacuated from their homes, it's going to be considered a life safety event from our perspective. When do you expect these fires to get under control? They're going to be burning in many areas until we have sort of that season-ending rain event, and that could be weeks away. You called this year budgetarily a historic disaster. What does that mean for next year and the year after that, given that wildfires are happening every year and getting worse? You know, our firefighters, they're professionals. They're really good at what they do. And they'll take the lessons that they learned on the firefighting front with them for future fire seasons. But again, right now, we just want to make sure that the folks that have been displaced and and are still staying in shelters and don't know what they have to go home to, if they have something to go home to, we're still focused on making sure that those folks have their needs met. We, those of us who are reading the stories about what's happening in the state, see these harrowing stories of fathers looking for their children, of volunteer firefighters seeing their own homes destroyed. How does this change living in Oregon? Oregon's been through a lot, not just this year, but in previous years. The people that live here love living here. Uh, I, I think that you can't go through an event like this and not be impacted in some way, shape, or form. Uh, we would expect folks will continue to be impacted uh, and think about what living in Oregon means for them and, and things that we all as individuals need to do to prepare. I'll tell you, just tell you really a, a quick anecdote. Speaking with the mayor of Detroit, Oregon, He's already planning on what the rebuilding is going to look like and how they can, at this time next year, celebrate all of the progress that they will have made over the preceding 12 months. And I think that's the Oregon spirit. We live in a beautiful part of the country, but certainly part of the country with numerous hazards. And we'll continue to adapt and try to protect Oregonians as best as we can. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for helping uh, tell a little bit of our story. Really appreciate it. Good luck. That's all for today, Monday, September 14th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. If you like our show, follow us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. We're out every weekday afternoon. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.